Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. More bad news, but there is a little bit of good news when it comes to food prices in Canada. We also discuss Wild Waterworks, the latest Auditor General's report, overspending during the holidays, more good from the Children's Fund, and the Orange Peel Theory Test. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. 14th edition of Canada's Food Price Report is out. And, well, it details some predictions that were made and predictions to come, as in what is going to happen in 2024. To take a look back and give us a glimpse into the future is Christina Cooperschmidt from the School of Engineering and Vector Institute at the University of Guelph, one of the many organizations that has their hands in this Food Price Report. Christina, good morning. How are you? Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. There are a lot of people involved in putting this report together. We have, well, University of Guelph, where you're from, uh, Dalhousie University, University of Saskatchewan, UBC. There's a production team. Why are so many people needed? Um, so the team is really large because really, uh, I think everyone recognizes how important of a national issue this is. So I think the the goal is really to try and get as diverse of a perspective as we can. So I think that kind of is why we are seeing people from UBC, Saskatchewan, um, Guelph, and Dalhousie. So we really have kind of the coast-to-coast perspective on trying to address this problem. Last year's report predicted that the uh, overall price of food in this country in 2023 would rise from between 5 and 7%. D- did we see that? Yeah, so we did. Most of the predictions we made for each of the individual food categories were correct. Um, Bakery rose slightly more than we had expected, but the on average across the different food categories, we saw an increase of around 5.9%. How much did we spend on food per month, per year? Per month? Um, So, sorry, I do have the number for the annual cost of a family, and that was around $16,000. Um, which was a $700 increase from the previous year. Wow. So what are, now that we are looking to 2024, what is the outlook for food prices? Yeah, so I think uh, I'm kind of pitching this as like a good news, bad news. So the bad news is it's still continuing to go up. Um, But the good news is we are expecting much less of an increase than we observed last year. So around two and a half to four and a half percent, with the biggest increases happening in vegetables, meat and bakery products. So what are the drivers there? Why are those particular food sections, if you will, going to go up more so than others? And I think this is like the question that everyone has. So my background is um, I did some of the modeling to try and help create these predictions. And I think it's really important to understand how complex each of these issues are. So it's not necessarily like one piece uh, moves and then that impacts the price of vegetables. Um, But this year, we actually found that the impacts of climate change are really impacting these categories. So um, that's what our experimentation suggests. So kind of these big climate events that we're seeing are having major downstream impacts on especially vegetables and meat. Bakery, a lot of what we observed last year was related to geopolitical issues. So I think we we imagine some of those will carry over into this year as well. So many different factors that impact food prices. You mentioned climate, you know, the, the geopolitical instability in, in our world. Inflation, obviously, still a factor. There, we had labor disputes this year. There's so many so many pressure points. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I always like to say it's a very like complex system and we just have little fragmented or like broken pieces of data that are helping us to kind of try and solve this problem. This year we also saw, and we're still seeing this, I think for, for uh, you know most of the major grocers in this country, a price freeze and which is kind of addressing, uh, you know, Canadians' views on corporate profiteering. Is there any sense that that will continue, at least the, the freeze part? The I'm less sure of the freeze part, but there is definitely talks of having a grocer code of conduct implemented. So the government is definitely pressuring those five major grocers to uh, like enact some kind of grocer code of conduct, which they have seen actually help to stabilize food prices in countries such as Australia, Ireland. So I think the hope is that that will continue to kind of offer relief to Canadians stressing to provide good food for their families. We talked about uh, the different uh, pressure points or impacts. Another one that is identified in the report, not not to a great extent, but it just caught my eye, and that was shelfflation. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so I think uh, a lot of us when we're in the grocery store have noticed this idea that maybe the packaging has changed um, and that you're essentially paying the same amount of money but for a lesser product. So maybe the ingredients have changed or the actual quantity that you're getting has changed. And as a consumer, I mean, personally, I can speak to this, like, it's very hard to recognize that it's happening, but there's certainly evidence that it is across many different food categories. Christina Cooperschmidt is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML from the University of Guelph, one of the many institutions putting all this information in place for the 14th edition of Canada's Food Price Report. Um, plastics, we know that uh, single-use plastics are you know, going the way of the dinosaur. Is this going to have an impact on how much grocery stores charge for food? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great question that the, there's so many pieces that are going into grocery pricing, that materials and things like input costs and wrapping could definitely have an impact on food pricing. Great stuff in Canada's Food Price Reports. Christina, thank you for sharing some insight with us this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Christina Cooperschmitz, the School of Engineering and Vector Institute at the University of Guelph, along with Dalhousie University, the University of Saskatchewan, UBC, all putting together this year's report, which, as you heard, a bit of good news and obviously a bit of bad news with prices still going a little bit higher. Although this year was actually lower than expected. Overall, you know, 5.9% and next year's increase between 25 and 4.5%, which, you know, I think we can live with. Obviously, it's going to be tough. You know, maybe some deflation on the way. I'm talking about inflation for a long, long time. Maybe, maybe uh, deflation will come into effect. That might be wishful thinking on my part. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we talked about this a month or so ago, Wild Waterworks. It is one of the main summer attractions that Hamiltonians and tourists to the city uh, gravitate to. Fun time to be had by all, fun for all ages as well. However, you know, it's not a massive money maker. Can it be, though? Hamilton City staff is going to investigate the pros and cons of a private-public partnership to keep Wild Waterworks open and successful. Matt Francis is the councillor for Ward 5 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Matt, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Let's dive into this review. What are you hoping that it identifies? Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, we're looking to keep Wild, Wild Waterworks going because that's what I've heard from 
many residents, not just in my community, Stony Creek, in Hamilton. I got calls from Burlington people, from people from um, Grimsby, uh, really passionate about keeping this going. So that's priority number one. And, you know, you look at the reports that came back from the consultant and the recommendation of $40 million to spend to keep it going. I mean, that is hard to justify. So how do we keep it going without spending $40 million of taxpayers' hard-earned dollars in, in these tough economic times where we're looking at a 14 14.2% tax increase? Um, you know, so is there a private partner out there that's willing to come and take this on and at a point where it's going to cost taxpayers $0 and, in fact, could generate revenue for the municipality? And not just that. It drives in 100,000 visitors to Hamilton every single year. Uh, they come in, they spend money in our local businesses, and they enjoy coming to our municipality. You mentioned that $40 million figure. Without a private public model going forward, can Wild Water Works survive? Without a private, po- sorry, could you, that's a, without a private public model. Um, yeah, I mean, we'd have to look at, at that when the, both reports come back in about a year's time. Um, you know, I don't want to see it close. Are there other options out after that? I'm not sure. We would have to cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, but first, I want to see uh, if this is a, a viable option before we go down that road um, of uh, fixing the place up, because uh, that's a very hefty price tag um, to fix this this place up. Has there been any interest from the private sector to say, you know what, if this was available, I might jump in? I mean, I don't know if there's any interest. This, uh, you know, I, I sort of alluded to it that it could be a bit of a, a fishing expedition here. Um, but it would make sense that there was, there's got to be somebody interested. I mean, we've got a GO station right there. Uh, the QEW exit is right there. Uh, the population is growing in the area um it's it's the beach the waterfront it, it's just a natural attractor for for folks and within the recreation uh, confederation beach park master plan um it does call for a little bit of revitalization to this area uh including it does include a hotel um so we'll be interested to see if there are uh suitors out there and uh this motion i mean it, it actually talks about this um uh, potential f- to include a broad range of attractions and uses to make it a viable destination. So I'd have to think that there is somebody out there. Um, I'd be shocked if there wasn't, but that's what this um, this exercise is going to find out for sure. Matt, is the is, is the best case scenario a private entity operates Wild Water Works, but the city still owns the facility or owns the land? Yeah, sorry if I wasn't clear. I definitely want to make, make that clear to folks that at the end of the day, the city will still own uh, this asset, we we these models exist where the city owns the land and and has a long-term lease agreement. Um, so no, we won't be giving that up. And, and and at the end of the day, too, we want to maintain the integrity that Confederation Beach Park is a park. At the end of the day, don't want to over overly commercialize the area. Um, so we got to keep that in mind, uh, and that's within the Confederation Beach Park Master Plan, which you know has been consulted with many residents over many years and uh, which informed this process. What is the timeline of this review? When will staff report back? Yeah, so this will be coming back uh, in about a year's time from now, Q4 2024. And at that point, we will uh, we'll make a decision. It, you know, over the last year, what was staff successful in identifying uh, partners to work with? 
Um, so we'll have a big decision to make at that point. So I'm interested, uh, anxiously interested to see uh, what that uh, holds in store for us. But in, in 2024, it will, the water park will resume status quo, um, which is which is good. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, just down the beach. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a East Ender, and, and I grew up a lot of inner city kids, so I understand, you know, the excitement that Wild Waterworks brings to folks. Uh, brings to those kids and uh, the the joy those summer camps that people go to uh, they bring their families their kids to um, so we we definitely don't want to lose that and I, I know it's a, it's a big asset for our municipality and for taxpayers sounds like could be a big opportunity as well for a private entity that is looking to uh, make their mark in this city or continue to make their mark we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see Matt always appreciate the time thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Rick. Matt Francis is the councillor for Ward 5 with the City of Hamilton as we talk about the uh, review that is on now for Wild Waterworks and whether or not it will proceed as is or whether a private organization will bring it to another level and provide a cost save for, well, both you and I. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The annual report from the Auditor General in this province came out yesterday. A laundry list of things that they analyzed, two in particular really catching a lot of people's attentions, and for all the wrong reasons. One of them being the healthcare file, which, as we know, is a massive file, massive portfolio. But in it, it highlights some ER closures, um, too many hours of ER closures, in fact, as well as, and this has a lot of people hot under the collar, an incomplete business plan when it comes to moving the Ontario Science Centre from its current location down to uh, Ontario Place. Sabrina Nanji is the founder of Queen's Park Observer and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sabrina, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. On the healthcare front, I mean, the ER closures is just one of many kind of line items in this report, but it really speaks to the severity of this issue and this provincial government not hitting it out of the park when it comes to funding our healthcare system. What are some of the takeaways for you? Yeah, I think that the healthcare file, uh, the, the government was probably bracing for this one to be pretty bad. The Auditor General's annual report comes out every year, and it's like this phone book sized report of, you know, government waste and mismanagement. And I think healthcare in particular, like, you know, just being here in Ontario and having any interaction with the system, you know that uh, it's in trouble right now. And I think this really underscored that, uh, you know, Doug Ford and the Conservatives came to power promising to end hallway health care. And what the Auditor General found is that that's really not the case. And in fact, hallway health care is getting worse. Uh, and you sort of laid out, you know, the main points here. I mean, ER closures, We uh, th- there was more than 200 in a period between June 2022 and June uh, 2023. So over one year, you know, over 200 unplanned temporary emergency department closures. This was mostly in rural or remote areas. And uh, you know, exacerbated and caused by this major staffing shortage that this province is having. Um, one one stat that really stood out to me also was that, you know, province-wide, one in five emergency visits were patients that were going to the ERs for non-urgent issues mm-hmm. because they don't have a family doctor um, or access to, to other services. So they're going to the hospitals. Meanwhile, you know, the average wait times are going up. So, you know, people who are going to the ER are waiting on average two hours 
hours just to be seen by a doctor. And then if you need a bed, you need you require a bed. It's it's 24 hours. And we've been hearing stories across the country of people just giving up and then, you know, something really bad happens to them on the healthcare front. So I think, you know, not a good day for the Ford government. They they say they're taking these recommendations, but I think for a lot of people, um, you know, whatever happens at this point is really too little too late. But even with our healthcare system crumbling before us, at least we're going to have a new Ontario Science Centre and a new parking garage for an upscale spa. It sounds like <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I, I think this was sort of um, maybe the main nugget that a lot of people zeroed in on was the Science Centre. And, and we had heard this was coming from the Auditor General. Uh, they usually don't really reveal the, the aspects of you know, the government that they're looking into. But I had heard that this was sort of the impetus for the Ford government releasing that business case for moving the science center, something that they could have released months ago. But, you know, interestingly enough, I guess the speculation is they decided to do it the week before we got the auditor general's report because they were bracing for some bad news. And and we got that, you know, yesterday for sure. I think, you know, one of the main things that stood out to me for the science center uh, move, you know, already controversial is that they decided to move it down to Ontario Place without having the full costing information and without having, you know, key input from the, the most important stakeholders who are involved in this. And that really is bad news for the Ford government in particular, because it sort of validates what opposition critics have been saying about the Science Center and the business case is that it's being justified with wonky math. It's not showing the full picture and key numbers are missing. And uh, as you also mentioned, the parking lot here, I mean, one thing the, the AG revealed is that the parking lot was a contractual obligation with Therma, you know, the, the company that's bringing the, the, the water park and spa down to the waterfront, you know, that has been kept tightly under wraps. And so I think, you know, the Auditor General peeling back the curtain a little bit here was good. But of course, this is raising a lot more questions than answers at this point. It is, uh, again, kind of adding on to the narrative that, you know, the, the Premier and, and the Conservative Party in this province uh, is, you know, pandering to those rich elites. You, you look at the, you know, the Therma Spa paying millions of dollars for a parking garage, moving the sign center without a solid business plan. I'm I'm sure that, you know, Bonnie Crombie the new liberal leader, Mart Stiles and Mike Trotter are going to have a field day with this. Unfortunately, the legislature is now shut down for a while. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. And there's a lot of speculation about the timing of that, too. I mean, me personally, it's been a whirlwind time in Ontario politics. So I'm I'm not totally upset that the House rose a week earlier. You know, it means a lot less uh, for us to cover question period debates and everything. But that's, you know, that's just me speaking as a as a tired journalist, because it's been a very busy few weeks at Queen's Park. If you're opposition, if you know, for accountability, it's, it's obviously bad news. There's no question period, no opportunity for for uh, th those critics to really question the Ford, the Ford government on this. I will say, you know, question period is called question period for a reason. It's not answer period. Uh, so I really do think that the Ford government, you know, a, a lot of people see this as them trying to duck accountability on this. Um, but, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. You're right that the critics are going to really be digging in their heels on this, trying to get more answers. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, when it comes to Ontario Place in particular, the Ford government has really 
made this problem a lot worse for themselves than it might have otherwise been. They haven't been transparent. They haven't explained the decision making around this. And it, it sort of raised a lot of eyebrows, especially at a time when they're already being accused of favoring their insiders, when they're already under an RCMP investigation for how the Greenbelt land swap went down. I mean, if they had just come out and sort of said, you know, this is why we're doing it, I think a lot of people would have been more amenable to it. I think we can all agree that Ontario Place is in need of a makeover. And this government has just picked something and decided to run with it. If they had been better on the rollout on the comm side of this, it might not have been as disastrous um, as as it's going now. And certainly, you know, they could have just done their homework and done the numbers uh, properly and and just sort of, you know, said to people, this is what we like and this is what we're going to do. Not a good look for the uh, provincial conservatives, that's for sure. Sabrina, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the day. Thanks for having me. Sabrina Nanji is the founder of Queen's Park Observer. Check it out online, qpobserver.substack.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, earlier today, we had the latest feature in our Happy Holidays Hamilton. It was all about Christmas shopping. And I'm sure either some of you have already begun, some of you have already finished, some of you have not even started or even thought about holiday spending, Christmas shopping. But with that season now underway, how can you go uh, avoid going overboard or overspending or busting your budget? Well, here to help you is Paul Anachek, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Debt Solutions here in Hamilton. Paul, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. It's, you know, another door of the advent calendar open, so you get that nice little chocolate, and mm. it just means we're getting closer to the big prize on the 25th. Well, and the big prize on the 25th sometimes means a lot of stuff under the tree as well, and I guess step one would be, you know, if you're going to bust the budget, you might as well have a budget. That's right, Rick. You know, there's been some uh, great news this festive season as it draws nearer. According to Equifax, 68% of Canadians plan to, you know, stick to their budget or have a budget this year. You know, that is up from 57% last year. So that is some great news. So what it really shows is that, Rick, you and I are having a, a great impact when we talk about budgets on our, on your listeners. Now, of course, creating a budget is one thing, but sticking to a budget can be something else. And this is where a lot of people sometimes uh, fall short. You know, according to stats, nearly 40% of Canadians went over budget last season. You know, and, you know, I hate, hate to be a Scrooge, but, you know, with today's current economy, I encourage your listeners that you need to be really realistic this year and really know what you have to spend. You know, it's not really about, you know, um, what's under the tree. It's around who's around the tree. So that's important to remember. But when you're creating a holiday budget, you shouldn't just pick an arbitrary number out of the sky. What you should be doing is taking a look at what you have for your current income, your current savings, and make sure your bills are paid this month. After that, you get your dollar figure for your budget. Now, what are your expenses going to be for your budget? Well, take a look at everything that you have to get. Gifts, decoration, travel, groceries, holiday entertainment. A lot of people forget the little things when it comes down to their holiday budget. So it's important to get that down on paper. So that way you're not going to bust your budget this holiday season. If someone does, however, and we've got a couple minutes to talk about this, if someone busts their holiday spending budget, how do they get back on track? Is it having a smart plan or, I mean, if they're in serious financial trouble, a consumer proposal, maybe even a bankruptcy might be their best option? 
Well, if you've already busted your budget with respect to your Christmas, you need to take a look at your overall budget. That could be one big problem right there. You know, if your overall budget, you know, is kind of a little out of whack right now, no wonder your holiday budget's going to be there. So the first thing to do is to take a look at that. Because when you have an overall budget that's healthy, you can actually look at paying down your debt. Now, if you're one of those Canadians that are struggling and having trouble getting by, there are options out there. So, you know... Don't have the debt regret this year. Remember, there are plans that are going to be coming in place. Now, that could be something like a consumer proposal. That could be something like a consolidation loan. Uh, what it shouldn't be, and, and I'll say this, uh, you know, especially this time of year, what it shouldn't be is a payday loan place because payday loan places, we know, charge in the hundreds of percent of interest. And that's the last thing you need right now is really to get, you know, an avalanche of interest just covering you for the new year. If you want to book a free consultation, no obligation consultation with Paul and his team at BDO Debt Solutions, give them a call today, 905-524-1008 or go online, bdohelp.ca. Paul, appreciate the time as always. Best of the season to you and your family. Thanks, Rick. You have a good night. Paul Anachek, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. We'll be uh, on the air together again in the not-too-distant future with Ask the Experts with BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as you know, the Christmas Tree of Hope campaign is on now, and Good Morning Hamilton is highlighting some of the charities and organizations that the Children's Fund assists. One of those is People's Community Sports. And here to talk about it is Samuel Lynn. Samuel, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what is People's Community Sports all about? Yeah, People's Community Sports is a free year-round sports league with a mission to be free, fun, and for everyone. We are driven by a goal to make organized sports accessible to families who would not have been able to afford it otherwise. So how many kids and how many families take part? Yeah, on average, we have about 1,200 registrants per year. Uh, that makes up to be about 300 or 400 unique people joining us every year for People's Community Sports over four seasons. Wow. How did this all start? Yeah, this started 13 years ago uh, by a guy named Willie Brown. Uh, he saw a need in a community for kids to join, to play basketball. His passion has been basketball. Uh, he He's uh, the current McNabb uh, basketball coach. Hmm. And yeah, he loved basketball. He saw the need that kids could not play organized sports. So he started that 13 years ago. That is pretty cool. I know soccer is also offered with this program as well. Apart from, you know, getting out there and running around and being active, which is massively beneficial, what are some of the other things that kids are learning in in coming together and playing sports? Yeah, for sure. Uh, some of the things that we do highlight is how do we play as a team? How do we uh, work together with, with camaraderie? We have an inner city school league, downtown Hamilton, where we run a similar thing. We play basketball and soccer with them. And some of the things that I really love to go through is what makes a good person? How do we work together and play as a team uh, while having fun? When and where are these games taking place? Is it once a week, multiple times a week? Yeah, during the academic year, our People's Community Sports mainly takes place on Saturdays all day. Uh, and in the summer, we do it on Tuesdays or Wednesdays outside in the field. And in our inner school intramurally, we do it on Thursdays. And where where is this taking place? Yeah, it's so our main league is at People's Church, Hamilton. Um, and our intramural school is Memorial Elementary School. Nice. Samuel Lim is with People's Community Sports. You can check them out online, thepc.ca. How does funds from the Children's Fund and the Christmas Tree of Hope campaign help People's Community Sports? 
Yeah, it it definitely helps us. Every kid who comes to People's Women's Sports receives a free jersey uh, that comes with the league. Uh, they also get to enjoy snacks and drinks each week. And the final tournament, we offer a free pizza party with awards and medals to kind of give them incentive to stay in the sport. So the Children's Fund uh, donation that was made early in the summer helped us out with our summer soccer league. Uh, with rental fees, with uh, with equipment, all that fun stuff. Yeah, fun stuff for sure. I know uh, it is quite costly to run something like this. And and you also mentioned, you know, this was beneficial during the summer as well. And a, and a nice example of the Christmas Tree of Hope campaign, even though the campaign and Blitz Day and all that happens in December, this funding helps organizations like People's Community Sports throughout the year. So it's nice to see that you can utilize the funds not only at this time of the year, but when you really needed it. Uh, Samuel, what's new for 2024? What's new for 2024? Well, we're starting back up with uh, indoor soccer in January, taking place January 20th to March 2nd. That's going to be a fun time because I love soccer the most. So we're starting that back up again, and we hope to keep going. We've got four seasons a year with basketball coming right after indoor soccer and summer soccer right after that. So we're still going on 13 years later. And how uh, can parents and children register to take part? Yeah, they can go to our website at peoplescommunitysports.org and all of the information about next season, registration dates, and how to register, how to play, what you need is all going to be there. Registration is tonight at 7 p.m. Oh, excellent. That is quite timely. Samuel, thanks for your time today and uh, best of luck with the upcoming season. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you for having me. And Samuel Lim from People's Community Sports. Check them out and uh, register your child or recommend it to a friend who you think uh, their child can benefit from. Another example of uh, the money that uh, you donate to the 900 CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign brought to you by Leggett Drive Life, Michael St. Jean Realty. When life changes, uh, we assist more than 30 local organizations and programs and services that help less fortunate children in our community. Pick up your cell phone now, text the word donate to 30333 to make a 10 or $20 donation. You can go online to 900CHML.com, click on the Tree of Hope or Children's Fund banners, and you can donate via Canada Helps or PayPal. Come see us at the radio station, 875 Main Street West. You can drop off a check, cash, uh, bring a new unwrapped toy as part of Operation Santa Claus Toy Truck, and we'll make sure that toy gets to a a child this Christmas season. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you heard about the orange peel test? This is something that has gone just bonkers on TikTok. If so, have you tried it? Well, the result could speak volumes about your relationship. Let's get into it with Laura Bellotta, a dating coach, matchmaker, author, and founder of Single in the City, online singleinthecity.ca. Laura, good morning. How are you? Good morning. And I'm not sure if you are aware, but I host the Dating and Relationship Show on uh, AM640. I think it's that's your sister station. It is just down the highway. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I was actually going to ask you about that, but you beat me <laughs> to the punch. Uh, listen, let's get into the orange peel test. What is okay. it? How does this work? All right. Well, first of all, I really like the orange peel theory test. First, when I heard about it, I was like, what is that? Right? And then I, as I grew to knew what it, uh, to know what it was, I really, uh, I really like it. It's like a sneak peek into what your relationship could be down the road. Okay. So basically, um, you're asking your partner to do something like peel an orange for you because maybe it's icky for you. You don't want to get your fingers dirty. So people are doing this test and it's basically just to prove 
you know, it, basically if their partner loves them or not. Okay, so think about it. If someone is willing to handle those little things for you, the things that maybe you don't like to do, it really shows that they're tuned in and they care about you, they care about your comfort. But if they're not so keen on it now, it might be a clue as to how they're going to approach things later on. Okay, and it's not about being demanding. It's about understanding each other and then being there for those tiny but really meaningful moments. So I kind of like it, you know, I, I the way I look at it is it's kind of like this little crystal ball. <laughs> it gives you a glimpse into how your partner sees the small acts of love and care and in those key ingredients that ma are going to matter in the long haul. The beauty about this theory is that it is a simple task that will could give you an idea of whether, you know, the, whatever relationship stage you are in, whether you have found true love or not. But, you know, if you did, if you ask this, the same person 10 times over, you know, 10 days or once each day for 10 days, their answer might be different. So there is some gray area here too, right? Well, I think so. But for the most part, right? Like, there's a lot of give and take in a relationship. Yeah. So if it's something small, you know, there might be some things that I don't like to do in a relationship. So I would like my partner to step up. Like, for example, I don't want to put windshield wiper fluid in my car. My boyfriend knows this. So you know, he he's checking in to make sure that it's always full. I mean, these are the little things that you do for each other. And so, you know, it's what makes the uh, the dream work. You guys work <laughs> together. Figure it out. Absolutely. Laura Bellotta, dating coach, matchmaker, author, founder of Single in the City online, singleinthecity.ca, also the host of the Dating and Relationship Show. This is the one on 640 Toronto. Just down the road, you can hear that Sundays at 10 p.m. Because this is a small task, is that why it works best? Because you're not asking someone to move a mountain. You're asking them to peel an orange. It's pretty simple. Well, it depends on the couple. Some people have no problems moving mountains for their partner, depending on what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on who you ask and depends on what you're asking for, I guess. We're seeing but that. That could be annoying for one. Like, you're right. That could be completely annoying for somebody. Well, yeah. I'm so busy. Why don't you just peel your own orange? But, you know, take a look at how they react to these situations because it may be the true test that you're looking for down the road. I'm, I'm can't wait. I'm going to apply this to my relationship this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it goes okay, but we're seeing so many different reactions on TikToks and other social media platforms that, uh, you know, people trying this, some people are, you know, grabbing the, the orange, peeling it and, you know, and handing it back to their loved one. Others are not only peeling it, but, you know, dissecting all the pieces of the orange. Others are saying, <laughs> no, you know, do it yourself. Like there's so many different interpretations of how this is going down. Well, you know what? Listen, I have I'd have no issues peeling my boyfriend's orange if he if if that was something that he really didn't like doing, but he does other things for me. Mm -hmm. Again, why would I have an issue with that? I love making him meals. I love food prepping for him. We're not living together, but those are the little gestures that I do for him. It's those little things uh, that matter, you know, especially if your love language is acts of service, which mine is, and his also is acts of service. I like people to take the load off me a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm super busy. And so if somebody can lend a, a hand, a helping hand, especially when I need it, uh, that's, that just speaks volumes to me. Like I, 
I'm dancing around so happy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great way to put it. So it's a little gesture. It's a little orange, but it speaks volumes as to how exactly. your relationship might be going. Yes. Laura, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks a lot. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. Laura Balada. She is the host of the Dating and Relationship Show on 640 Toronto Sunday nights at 10. Also a dating coach, a matchmaker, author, and founder of Single in the City online. Singleinthecity.ca is the website. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.